Here we go. You are listening to Rumination Tuesday Law and Gospel, where we take a look at a hymn. And the hymn we're going to be looking at, From Depths of Wool, I Cry to Thee. cry to thee. This is a reading of Psalm 130 written by Martin Luther in 1523 as he was engaged in revising the Latin Mass. He expressed his desire for as many songs as possible in the vernacular which the people could sing during Mass immediately after the gradual, after the Sanctus, and the Agnus Dei. It is a superb explication of the proper distinction between the law and the gospel and the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. It was also sung at times of mourning. For instance, at the funeral of Luther's protector and patron, Frederick the Wise, on May the 9th, 1525, and also was sung during Luther's own funeral ceremony as his body lay in state at the market church of Our Dear Lady in Halle in 1546. This hymn is commonly used as a catechetical aid to reinforce the meaning of confession as described in Luther's small catechism. It is a hymn of faith and grace dependent entirely on God's word. And for this reason, from depths of all has brought comfort to generations of believers. In fact, it also inspired Johann Sebastian Bach to write a choral prelude for organ for each part of the catechism, including a massive six-voice setting of From Depths of Woe. And we're looking at it because this is a hymn of the day 
for Ash Wednesday. Pastor Mark Smith, were you aware that this is the hymn of the day for Ash Wednesday? Yes, I was. I sure was. And uh, uh, it's a good hymn. I didn't, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's it's hard to argue with uh, Martin Luther and uh, Bach and also our favorite translator, Catherine Winkworth. They all yes, had a part in this hymn. wondering if you were going to notice that. She yeah. really translated a lot of hymns, really did well at them. And this is one of them by Martin Luther. Now, I'll be preaching at four congregations on Thursday. I'm sorry, Wednesday, because that's Lent. And then on Sunday, I've got two worship services and then two adult catechism classes, one at 7.30 in the morning and the other one at noon. Uh, people wanting to join the church, plus two worship services and a Bible study. So we're going to be taking a look, though, at this hymn as the hymn of the day for Ash Wednesday, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. So do you want to start with the first verse? Be happy to. You bet. From depths of woe I cry to thee. In trial and tribulation, bend down thy gracious ear to me, Lord, hear my supplication. If thou rememberest every sin, who then could heaven ever win or stand before thy presence? So when Luther writes down in trial and tribulation, what, according to this verse, is people's greatest trial and tribulation? I would imagine the time leading up to death or the death of the loved one. Well, from the verse itself. Oh, from the verse itself? Depths of woe, depths of uh, dis maybe dis maybe dark despair even. No. Or, or uh, if thou rememberest every sin. Yeah, right. I was going to say, uh, the feeling of uh, utter uh, guilt, guilt over sin, and uh, yeah, that's depression. Uh, depression right. over the fact that we may not be going to heaven because right. of our sin. Yes. So well, that's that's despair, right? See, Luther was very, very, very good at distinguishing law and gospel. If you read his sermons, he has law, but then he moves to the gospel. And in this hymn, the law is pretty clear. Lord, hear my supplication. If you would remember every sin, who then could heaven ever win or stand before thy presence? That's really law because we are not worthy to have God stand before us or us before him. You, yeah, you I would also I would also say that, you know, Luther Luther himself went through some real trials, you know, before he uh before God led him to discover the gospel, uh even while he was a monk, he uh he had a hard time uh under the weight of 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 his own sins. He was very much very much conscious of his own sins. I I I hear him cry out in this very hymn. 
Yes. In fact, the great insight that he finally realized was something he wasn't aware of. He was under the impression that God wanted him to be righteous by his works, and he couldn't. That's why he was so depressed. And then he discovered from Romans particularly that God declared him righteous because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that changed his whole attitude. That's right. Uh, you know, that one line where it said, if, if thou rememberest every sin, who then could heaven ever win? Some might, some might wrongly interpret that as saying, well, we, we win heaven after all. Uh, but but uh, the later lines make it very clear. It's by grace alone. It's not by our doing. It's not by our merit or anything like that. It's uh, God's free gift of mercy. Yes, and one could say the word win. For example, when you had your children, we had our children, one could say that they won free meals, free clothes, free beds, free transportation. That was part of being part of the family, and it was a real win for them, even though they contributed nothing to those. Right. Yeah, win can be by grace, too. Exactly, which is what stanza two talks about. Thy love and grace alone avail to blot out my transgression. The best and holiest deeds must fail to break sin's dreads oppression before thee. None can boasting stand, but almost fear thy strict demand and live alone by mercy. Oh, boy. What does mercy there, mean? There you go. Uh, mercy is... Uh, uh, it's it's, it's you not, struggle it's with not this getting, every it's time. Not getting, it's not getting what we deserve. Exactly. And what is grace? Uh, grace is... Um, Getting... What we don't, don't. deserve. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you always have a problem with that. I have a real problem remembering. It's, it's remembering the way you have put it. It's not, it's not that I don't understand the word grace. It's just that the way you say it, I don't. I, I have a hard time remembering. But it's important that people understand grace is to receive something they do not deserve. And mercy means they're not receiving what they deserve. So rather than punishment for their sin, they're receiving the gift of the forgiveness of sins. And... Don't you find members that are really worried near their time of death that they have the impression that they haven't done enough to get to heaven? No, I will. No, I really haven't. Well, I'll tell you what. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people on their deathbed will will worry. Will have will worry. Have I done, have I been a good father or mother? Yes, yes. Uh, that's often I I think that's the w one regret that a lot of uh, 
a lot of people have as they're uh, nearing death is, have I been as good a father or mother as I should have been? Have I done everything right with my kids as far as giving them a good Christian upbringing? That, that's what bothers, I think, a lot of uh, people. Yes, I've often said that if when I die and there's a funeral and the pastor says, we know Pastor Baker is in heaven because he was such a wonderful husband, father, and pastor, the front two rows will break out in laughter. <laughs> now, you know, there's a lot of movies where they have a funeral. Yes. And it's really a sad thing that every time I hear the funeral sermon, it's always about the person, how right. wonderful they are, how we're going to remember them and this kind of thing. What's missing in such a funeral? Christ and his yes. free gift, absolutely free gift of, of eternal life. Yeah, I I heard a sermon not too long ago, a funeral sermon not too long ago, and it was so much about the person, um, yeah, yep. not enough about Christ. I mean, it, I I think the person, I think the the preacher got to Christ toward the end, but the most of it was having to do with his with what the person what the person accomplished. Yeah, and if Christ is brought in, then Christ is given thanks for having had such a wonderful Christian person. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's really important. I did one funeral, and um, she was a member of my congregation, but her sister was Roman Catholic. And when I said that we know that she was a gross sinner that she deserved nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, her sister got really angry at me because uh -huh. she, she didn't want to hear that. And we had some conversation. I think I've talked about this before. But you know who finally convinced her that what I had said was correct? I have no idea who. She had a Roman Catholic priest who was a neighbor in her neighborhood about three houses down from her. And she had gone to him and said, you won't believe what this Lutheran pastor said about my sister. And when she was done speaking, the Roman Catholic priest said, well, I kind of agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> no, she sent me a letter apologizing. No kidding. Because Boy. she understood that yes, her sister wasn't perfect, none of us are, but we don't go to heaven because we're perfect. We go to heaven because Jesus is perfect. Yeah, I'm reminded, you know, my wife reminded me the other day about the note that they found on uh, Martin Luther's person when he died. And there was a note written in German, and uh, what it said was, we are all beggars. Yep, yep. We are all beggars and because we have nothing to offer God. Like the publican uh, in the temple. Yep. In fact, we have that in our liturgy. It's really a good section where it says, and there's nothing we can do to 
get rid of our sin. That's even part of the liturgy. Yeah. All right. Stanza three, please. Okay. Therefore, my hope is in the Lord and not in mine own, and not in mine own merit. It rests upon his faithful word to them of contrite spirit that he is merciful and just. This is my comfort and my trust. His help I wait with patience. Now, what the gospel is, is about trusting the promises that Jesus Christ gives us. That's right. And that's what is meant by my hope is in the Lord. Why do we hope in the Lord? And that hope, Tom, is a sure and certain hope. It's not just a, it's not just a, well, I hope he does this, I hope he does that. Oh, no. Our hope is solid. It rests upon his promises. And there is no more certain ground than that. Yes. I'm always surprised when I ask people who haven't heard much of law and gospel, um, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? You know how many say, I hope so. Yeah. I think I've tried to be I think I've tried to be a good person all my life. Yeah, that right. kind of right. And there's no assurance. Right. Whereas that doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. It right. just means that they're not theologically knowledgeable about what the Bible says. Or they, they can't quite ver- faith. Or they can't quite verbalize it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's the purpose of every sermon. I, I, I've been saying this now for a few months. We not only explain the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, we also explain the English. Because a lot of people take the English in a wrong way. Yeah, we want our people to walk out of that church absolutely assured that if they're to die that afternoon or that night, they will be in heaven with our dear Lord Jesus. We want them to have that assurance, and, and, and we don't want them walking out with doubts uh, or with, oh boy, I guess I got to be a better, uh, I guess I've got to be a better churchgoer or, or a better, uh, a better worker. No, we want them to have that absolute certainty that if they die that night, they will be with our Lord Jesus. That reminds me, when you and I go to a hospital, a lot of times we walk in where our member is kind of depressed, they're about to have surgery or something, and our goal is to leave them with a joyful heart and great comfort. And that comes about not by talking to them about stories or about us, but about Jesus. Yes. We want them to, whether they get through that surgery or not, they're going to be with Jesus. Jesus is going to be with them. Well said. Well said. All right, I'll read four. And though it tarry through the night until the morning waken, my heart shall never doubt his might, nor count itself forsaken. O Israel, trust in God your Lord, born of the Spirit and the Word. Now wait for his appearing. Now, can you help explain that first part, and though it tarried through the night? What are we talking about? 
Well, I think of the passage, uh, joy cometh in the morning. You know, uh, sometimes our nights are long. Sometimes we fret and worry. You know, the best of us, we take our worries with us to bed. And uh, uh, but but really, this is this is reminding us of the of the certainty of the resurrection. You know, think of those think of those disciples and uh, the followers of Jesus all through that weekend after Jesus died on the cross. Yes. And uh, and and yet the joy came in the morning. That early in the morning of that east that first Easter, they were uh, they were assured. Those ladies were assured that their Lord is not with them. He is risen. But of course, the disciples didn't believe the women. No. <laughs> and even the women didn't believe Jesus because they had gone to anoint a dead body, right. rather than go to see an empty tomb as he had promised. I find That's that right. really interesting. Yes. And who was there first of all in the morning? The ladies, those blessed ladies. Yep. It wasn't the disciples, but the dear ladies that followed him. They were first up at Adam in the morning. Yes. And they were really, shall we say, courageous to do that, even though they didn't know who's going to roll the stone away. Because the Pharisees, unbelievers, had known that Jesus said he would rise in three days. So they asked Pilate to have soldiers uh, watch over the tomb and actually seal it. So the rock was sealed with, well, whatever they sealed it in those days with. A Roman seal. A Roman seal. And, and if you broke that Roman seal, uh, you could be subject to death. Yes. And the angel came down, broke the seal, rolled away the stone, sat on the stone, and the soldiers became like dead men. Right. Oh, boy. That's interesting. Okay. Stanza five, please. Though great are sins, yet greater still is God's abundant favor. His hand of mercy never will abandon us nor waver. Our shepherd good and true is he who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. Now, you know, the Tom, word... that, that last... That last verse reminds me of that passage where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. Yes. It's interesting that the word Israel is used twice in this hymn. Luther wasn't Jewish. We're not Jewish, a lot of us. So what does Israel mean? Well, Israel, we're all sons of Abraham by faith. We're, we, you know, we may not, we may not have uh, Jewish blood running in our veins, but uh, Abraham believed God when God gave His promise. Abraham believed God, and God rendered it as righteousness. And that's the same thing uh, He does with us. We're all sons of Abraham. Uh, we're, we're all part of the true Israel by faith in Christ. And that is explained by Paul in Romans 9 to 11, where he says there's two Israels, 
those who are related to Abraham in the flesh and those who are related to him by the promise, namely that through Isaac would come a wonderful, great, beautiful promises to all the nations, including heaven as their home. And so Abraham believed that even though he was way past childbearing age, he was 70, and then they didn't have the baby for another, what, 25 years? Uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, what, 99 or 100? Yeah, he and, was 100, uh, and she was 75. 90, or, or 90. I think. 90, yeah, yes. That's right. So, yeah, that last one, though great are sins, that they're great, but there's something greater still is God's abundant favor. Now, favor is a synonym for what word? Uh, favor. Let's see. How would I describe favor? Goodwill. You already used the word. Goodwill towards somebody. We're saved by... Grace. That's it. Yes. That's his favor toward us. And that's why when we talk about Mary was favored, we're not talking about that she earned the right to become the mother of God, but God favored her by grace, giving her that child conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And we also have been favored and that's what worship is all about, isn't it? That's right. You know, Tom, as I said before, where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. And the gospel needs to pre predominate in our preaching. We want our people to, you know, we got to preach the law. Otherwise, people think, well, you know, uh, I'm not a sinner. They'll never know their sins if we don't preach the law. But, but the, the gospel needs to predominate. People need to have the gospel of God's, uh, of, that we're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. People need to hear that ringing in their ears as they walk out of church on Sunday. Thanks so very much for helping us with this great Ash Wednesday hymn. From depths of woe, I cry to thee. We'll be singing it tomorrow night at our Lenten services. I did say Lenten hymn, didn't I? Or did I say Advent? I, I keep getting those two mixed up. But Lenten is coming for six weeks in the Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. Join with us. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.